4: For Hello. Sake. <laughs> i will need to take a break in a minute because i've just put my wine in the freezer but the f- fridge doors like only opens once every 20 minutes <laughs> wait what it's such a shit
3: fridge that when you close it it just suctions shut for ages but you're you guys might be hearing a bit more of a echo than usual um yes. you may hear some
1: Greek sounds. <laughs> some
3: greek sounds because we're both in mykonos bitch. baby i feel like Lindsay lohan dancing on the thing you know that's in is that a mykonos yeah. yeah i feel like it is in mykonos. she's got the beach bar yeah oh my god hmm? let's go there after this where is it yeah so grace got here a few days before me i've basically been like chasing her she got to athens a few days before me and then Makanos, a few days before me, I've just arrived, so we're recording this ep a little bit early so we can do it in person, and I want to be in like the best mood ever, because obviously we're in such a lovely place, and I feel quite guilty even talking about it, because there's obviously so many people still in lockdown, but we, I arrived here, and everything has just been a shambles, and it's a party island, and everything is so expensive, and people told us that already, but then I caught a taxi to get here, and it was 30 euros for a five-minute drive.
4: I, yeah, it's it's like a very bizarre place. I feel like I haven't got my brain around it yet, and I'm about to leave. <laughs> you know, when you just get your—we've talked about this before—you get your, your pea brain stuck on something, and you just won't hear facts, like other facts. Yeah, that contradict you wanted it. to
3: come to Mykonos, and
4: I was like, I don't—I wanted to come to a Greek island, and I just wouldn't hear of the fact that this one was just party central because I was like, well, it's not because of COVID because all the clubs and stuff, they're not doing full clubbing or anything, or at least they weren't then. So I was like, I'd be going to a nice island that's got infrastructure, but quiet. And it's just a weird place because in Australia, I think when you go to party islands, you go to Thailand or Bali and it's cheap, but here has got like gross party island energy but it's more expensive so than,
1: expensive.
4: like, the Ritz. It's so, so weird. So I'm like, expensive. I don't understand why people would cut. Like, I don't get it. But I do love it because it's really beautiful.
3: It's just yeah, it's just you, confusing. I guess that does make what you're saying make sense because Party Island, you would think it would be young people who wouldn't have heaps of money.
4: That's what I mean. But then you go past places here and there, they look gross, but then all they sell is magnums of Dom Perignon, which is like three and a half thousand euros, Oh my God. So I'm like, who is this island designed for? There's people with kids, and then you, there's kind of a restaurant culture, but like, you've really got to seek it out. You can't just walk around and like go into somewhere. I booked this Airbnb the first night. Me and (laughs) Zach slept on this very floor, the kitchen, on mattresses because the Airbnb is opposite this it looks like a cafe. cafe it looks like a cute little cafe that's- it serves waffles during the day and at night the beasts come no. to it and it blasts like you know that song that's like starlight you da, 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 oh yeah it just plays a that over up. and over again with like the bass thrumming in my eardrums yeah and i was just crying and i was like oh my god we're gonna be here all week and we're just gonna have to listen to this and i was like does that we just have to go and party with them
3: we like have to embrace the chaos yeah because this your first night in mcannops was the night we launched our patreon and you were <laughs> like i want to be excited about this but izzy it's two in the morning and we're in the lounge and then you sent me like a video of your mattresses dragged into the lounge and the room
4: the kitchen where we're sleeping on the floor doesn't have aircon and it was like 40 degrees or something so we were just sweating and then we would go and walk into the room with the aircon and stand in the aircon for 10 minutes and listen to the thrumming beat and then come back
3: god yeah so there are very much more chill greek islands my boyfriend was like very against coming to mykonos he was very against going to any greek island at all all he wanted to do was hang out in athens all day which To be fair to him was really, we went to Athens and it was really, really cool and cheap tavernas and really good food and a cool scene. But I was like, get me to a beach. And then we just ended up with this one because it was just easiest with all like the COVID tests you have to do and everything like that. But yeah, I am like gagging to go to Milos or there was like another one that one of my friends was at and looked so cool. But obviously very lucky. It's obviously very beautiful. But it was really funny because we were like, we arrived just before. And I have a very busy day today because I have all this other work on. And then we're obviously recording the pod. So I was working on the ferry the whole time. And then we arrived and there was supposed to, we booked a hotel. um, And there was supposed to be a guy like waiting with a sign and he just wasn't there. So I was like, for God's sake, he was like calling him and calling him. And then finally we tracked him down and he was so moody. Like he was like angry ass. And I was like, well, sir, I'm angry at you. So fucking hell. And it was just silent in the car ride. And then the hotel wouldn't check us in for ages So we're sitting just like sweltering in the heat with all our bags waiting for this hotel room to let us in and this random man with a shisha was puffing away and then starts There's so much shisha here. So much shisha, which is yeah. so random. My boyfriend was like just smoke a fucking cigarette for god's sake. That's why I never like, understood shisha as the last time. It's probably like 50 euros. It's so a shisha. It's so expensive. Yeah, and then he goes he was like bitching about the prices as well. And then he was like, yeah, I ordered a shisha last night, overpriced, and he's like puffing <laughs> on it again at the exact same place. I was like, you're crazy. And then I was like I was like, why is it taking so long? And my boyfriend goes, yeah, it doesn't take long to clear a hotel room. It only takes like an hour. And I was like, how do you know that? And he goes, I used to clean hotel rooms in America. Remember? <laughs> and he goes, remember? <laughs> I told you. And I found a dead body. And I was like, no. I was like, I know none of this. What, are what you, is it? With- I was like, what are you fucking talking about? And then he was like, yeah, um, I was like trying to clean the room and it was locked from the inside, which means the person is still in there. So he, like, he was, like, 11. It was, like, slave like labor, like, child labor. working for like. Why his, was he in America? Why was he working? Why was he family in a hotel? Family lived there and owned a hotel. So he was, like, helping out in the summer holidays. He said his mum used to, like, ship him to America to get rid of him for the <laughs> summer holidays. And I was, like, that's fair. My mum used to ship me to Auckland to my, like, shithole dad to get rid of me for the summer holidays. Yeah, actually, we used yeah. to have my grandparents. Yeah. And then – um. He said the door was locked from the inside, so he was, like, like banging on it. And then went and got the janitor, and the janitor opened it. And this is really sad and crazy. A man had literally shot himself in the head. Oh, my God. And he saw that at 11. Yeah. That and, he, like, and he also didn't tell me. And then goes, remember? And I was like, no. No. I just talked so, so much. I would have told you that on our first date. That's crazy. Yeah. That's sad. Mm. Yeah, like, imagine me keeping a secret that big for a a, a, living just a story
4: I know I would tell everyone I'd ever met that story I'm really gonna tell everyone that story now as if it was me I know
3: that one summer when I was 11 he said on our first date he goes you wouldn't stop talking about your podcast (laughs) I was like that's so embarrassing
4: so embarrassing I revert to that too I think I told you already that we had dinner with our neighbors who are so lovely and it was the first time we're having dinner with them and I was like it was like one of our first times out of lockdown so I was just out of practice and like kind of mm. anxious mm-hmm. and Zach was like you said on my podcast we talked about he was like literally like 28 <laughs> times he was like it was so awkward and just I was like not- I know it was awkward <laughs> I just like
3: couldn't stop him my being brain. him being a bit chittier afterwards Pardon? like FYI this <laughs> was like such a funny <laughs>
4: I know it was so bad I don't know why because I hate talking about it no me too and then I just was going on and on and like once it's in your head it's literally the p brain loop yeah. I just couldn't stop saying it and then I got in my head that I couldn't talk about a topic <laughs> if we talked about it in the podcast without couching we talked about it in the podcast like it was referencing like, it like referencing you because like you're plagiarizing like my you. thoughts
3: you fucking bitch
4: literally so someone was like oh what do you think about blah blah i can't even remember the topic And i'd be like well in the podcast we said th- like who the fuck says that i'm so oh my lucky God. anyone talks to yeah me. i was
3: so embarrassed because I, th- I think i get obviously so nervous on first date that to the point where i wasn't gonna go and i felt like i was gonna vomit mm-hmm. <laughs> he also said i looked so ugly because i just arrived and like didn't put in any effects i was so frazzled <laughs> <laughs> so i'm sure he didn't say you looked ugly no but he was just like like it was like our third date or something and he was like oh you're like prettier than i thought <laughs> I, I just arrived like i was like i want to put it in the, the it's that thing that you were saying on the patreon ep last week about scared about face tuning because you don't want to catfish someone you're like so petrified of catfishing yeah. that you want to go in you went one step further where you like in real life like, <laughs> in real life just want to catfish. yeah you looked worse yeah was oh, um, so funny i don't i don't ever want to look like i've made an effort right that's why, like to, yeah. with clothes and like I don't want to wear heels because I'm like oh it'll look like I've like made an effort and that's yeah, yeah totally. for me. so then anyway I was really nervous and then just talked about my podcast the whole time and then I was like really thrown when he kept introducing me as like a podcaster when we first started dating yes I was like, yeah, I was like <laughs> what I'm a journalist why do you keep saying that okay so what yeah I feel like I've been
4: in such a time warp that when we started looking at stuff to cover in the app I was like what's even happened not much has happened. Not much, much has here. happened,
3: but have you, have you been doing things? So last week I briefly talked about The Serpent and I was talking about it in a way that – talking about someone who got away with murder or someone who didn't get away with – fuck, I don't know. But anyway, there's this Netflix show called The Serpent and it's about a true story about this guy called Charles Sobrage, who was a gym dealer but then he moved to Bangkok and was like just murdering all these tourists. And the Sorry, that's not funny. It's just sort of like the way I say it is it. Yes, I know. <laughs> I was like- a gym dealer and he just like, like started telling me about
4: a shop. You found yeah, that was like yeah, I know. nice jacket. I don't
3: know how to say. He just st- started murdering. Them. Yeah. And stealing their identities. And then you travel on them. Why? Oh I don't really know. I think he would, I think basically it started with him. He was just a con man and he was half Vietnamese. And then I think half French or something. And he mm-hmm. lived in France for ages. And then he was in France and married to this woman, had a baby and then got caught trying to like steal all these gems and so he kind of he basically like fled to bangkok and then he'd find all these tourists and steal their money and their possessions. and he started out just drugging them and then leaving them and stealing all this shit and then it went one step further where he started like just murdering them and he got this other guy involved and so it was like him and this other guy and they would just yeah like in the 70s drug and murder all these people and fully got away with it and the netflix show was like like, when we were watching it i was like this is so bad it's just badly done but i think the story Mm -hmm. is so compelling that it ends up being really good okay but yeah we got to the end and i was like, it's so worth watching and yeah jenna coleman i was saying is in it she's his wife she's his girlfriend and so i watched all of that really good and then i binged (laughs) below deck med season one which is a throwback because we talked about below deck med like two years ago on the podcast because my friend is on season four randomly and that's then she, right and then she did our awd takeover for us in lockdown that's my right. friend aisha so yeah but then my friend was staying with us and she works on the super yachts and my boyfriend doesn't really know much about it because it's such a like kiwi aussie culture or kiwi yeah, culture i
4: think it's more kiwi like i'm obviously aware the aussies do it but i hadn't even heard of it till i met you and now i feel like every person one i meet through you has some connections
3: to the super yachts yeah like every
4: and then we passed a super yacht here the other day like a proper JLo style one in the port like two days ago and i was saying to zach that's what those girls work on
3: yeah so they yeah so uh it's a huge thing in new zealand basically when like you kind of finish high school or you're not going to go to uni or you take a gap year for you to do a super yacht. i did the course because i was like yeah, I was going to say, I can see you doing this. <laughs> you yeah. said you
4: moved to Scotland.
3: <laughs> yeah, I would I would be very efficient on them because I love to, like, clean and tidy. <laughs> um, yeah, you do a two-week course kind of thing. And you have to fully extinguish fires and shit for the course in mm-hmm. firemen's uni- uniforms. Apparently, I was told recently, if you're ever extinguishing a fire,
4: the trick is short bursts, not one long mm-hmm. burst.
3: And people say they don't learn anything on this pod. I know. I thought that was interesting.
4: I was like everyone should just know that. Mm. Because apparently if you go full blast, it's only eight seconds and then it's empty. Fuck. That's nothing. That's crazy. And but if you do little little ones, it's just as effective and it lasts longer. Okay, good. Why do you know that? Someone was telling me at dinner recently. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't
3: know why. Anyway, yeah, so the people go on the go and work on the super yachts cause you get paid heaps of money. So you work as like a stewardess or a deckhand cleaning and waitressing and looking after people in the yachts and you make a shit ton of money and the tips you get are so crazy. So you may, I was trying to figure it out like, and I don't know if I'm just, I don't think this figure is coming out of nowhere but I feel like you probably get around six or 7,000 pounds a month salary. And then on top of that, probably tips would be double that. Oh, shit. Yeah, it's crazy. So, so people yeah. go, like my friend did it for a year and then came back and bought a house. Right, right, right. It reminds me of in Perth, it was such a
4: thing when I was finishing high school to go and work as a cleaner up in the mines, mm. which sounds yes. so crazy. No, yeah. The cleaners were on like $150,000 a yeah. year. Yeah, And you would do like three weeks on one week off or whatever. Yeah. And then you'd be. similar. That'd yeah, be perfect similar. for
3: you because you'd be. All- I know. <laughs> you'd be like, you don't have to pay me. Yeah, I'd be like, I, <laughs> I actually enjoy this. i'm staying on with my boyfriend i pack all of our i like fold all of our bags and pack them all and like clean up everything myself because i just enjoy it when izzy walked in i was
4: like don't look at that chair and it's just a chair that's covered in every single piece of clothing i have here it's disgusting do you like my cute op-shop dress yes so nice
3: yeah i love it i said it when i saw you but i meant to say it again two pounds where from from the Kensal Rise op shop in mm-hmm. um just it's like a sub about the back it's of Hill. It's so good. It this fits you pearl like it. necklace, twenty pounds. Bloody hell. Love op shopping. Smash it. charity shopping They don't even call- Do they call it op shopping in Australia? Think- op shopping in Australia, yeah. yeah. Anyway, so yeah, then we've have been watching Blow Deck Mid season one ludicrously obsessed with it uh-huh. so it followed it just literally like follows them doing their job on a yacht yeah but you get so caught up in the drama like the head chef ben i thought he was going to hook up with hannah the main stewardess and they did not and there was like all this weird it's like basically a whole bunch of horny young people working on a yacht together and right. sleeping so like in the of same quarters kind of mm. yeah okay what have you been doing I didn't actually – I listened to
4: this a couple of weeks ago and forgot to recommend it. But The Guardian's In Focus podcast had this really good episode called The Authority Gap, and it's interviewing a woman who's just written this book about basically how women are, like, getting into positions of power in companies or politically, but the authority in terms of, like, how seriously people take them decreases the older they get. So women are getting these, like – even as they're progressing socially – or up the corporate ladder or whatever, people don't see them as authoritative figures, which I guess is kind of obvious, but I hadn't really thought about it. And they were giving examples like Bernadine Evaristo, who wrote that girl or amazing another. book, yeah. was saying that, and this is like race comes into it as well, but she was saying she took a much younger white student out for lunch or something. And the waiter kept asking the younger student, do you want to try the wine? Do you want to order? Do you want to pay the bill? And kind of ignoring her. And then another example was the former Prime Minister of Ireland, I think, when she went to meet the Pope. <laughs> the Pope oh God, like, yeah. went and shook hands with her husband or something instead of her and was pretending yeah, she and, wasn't and he,
3: there. Yeah, and he goes, um, don't you wish you were Prime Minister? Oh, yeah, something. instead of her. Yeah, exactly. So crazy. And I
4: understand the Pope's like 100 and he's from catholic church so he's not like a great example of being progressive but i just think that idea about how authoritative people see you and treat you is so interesting because it's like it doesn't matter how it doesn't matter if you've got the big job if everyone doesn't take you that seriously then it doesn't matter if you have it
3: yeah and also i think it was so interesting because the woman who wrote the book she wrote she wrote a book right and then she went yeah. on the guardian to talk about it yeah the woman who wrote the book was just like because The Guardian reporter said a lot of the people you're using as examples she talked to Hillary Clinton and all these really really high up senior people are super powerful why aren't you just talking to the everyday woman about the gap in how seriously people take you and she was like because I wanted to prove that if even if you are famous rich powerful if you're Hillary Clinton and still people don't take you as seriously as a man, then obviously that's happening to everyday women. Like on like an, every single level. Yeah, on yeah. every single level. And then she said that a proper like prime study because it's like people keep, basically the, the annoying thing is, it's like that thing we've talked about so many times was when you have a really bad boss who is really secretly horrible But you can't pinpoint it because Mm -hmm. when you try and pinpoint... Or it's just when someone gaslights you, basically, and you try and, like, tell someone else and they just don't believe you. It's like with the authority gap, that would happen so many times. And so the woman was like, okay, the, the part of my book I love the most is when I interviewed someone who's trans male and someone who's trans female. So they've both transitioned. Yeah. And the trans male said now their work is being taken so much more seriously than when they identified as a woman. It's the exact same work. And the opposite thing was found for the trans woman was just like, when I, when I identified as a man, I was like, I I think they were both lecturers or something. And they were like, my work was lauded. I I was getting awards, all of these things. And it's the exact same work. And now no one gives a shit. And then the writer said that one of the students said, what did they say? Like her, like, Oh, her brothers was is so much better than her. Not yeah, the one that it is her. to being a woman was like, yeah, she, uh, yeah,
4: yeah. Either her brother's better than her, or her sister's yeah. work. she has a sister, it, and her work is yeah. Her sister and the works not as good, or something. Yeah, I think it's so true. I even notice it. I fully notice that I do this. I'm trying to think of an example of something. Um, like I, I don't really do this. So I can't think of an example. But if I'm being like, yeah, how long is the wait for this? Or blah blah blah. Or I've had to I, – I literally can't think.
3: No, yeah, but even – I feel
4: more – find it easy to question or push back on or whatever women than I do men.
3: Yeah, totally. And it's because we, we are known as being more understanding. Like, just then when I was like, I just want to check into this goddamn room and stop talking to this shisha-smoky man, mm-hmm. I was waiting for this cute girl called Mila so I could, like, fucking bully her into letting me into the room early instead of totally. the hotel
4: manager. It's Yeah, it's like when we're at this Airbnb, the guy who runs it is this – older Italian guy and I think if it was a woman I'd be like hey the noise is way too loud like what the fuck's going on and with him I like thought about sending the message and was like oh but you know it's my fault for not checking the location or whatever I just think we feel much we find it so much easier to like question women's authority and like you say it's done in this way that's always so subtle
3: yeah another interesting part of that podcast which I didn't Ever know? I don't know if this is like a widely known fact, but I had no idea about it. Was that Margaret Thatcher got voice training when she became prime minister to so that her voice? Margaret Thatcher's the horrible UK one. Yeah, I yeah. <laughs> and I just was like, I thought <laughs> I was. Am I, talking talking I literally thought I was talking about that woman from Harry Potter, Mrs. Umbridge or something. Like <laughs> I was like, am I even saying a real name? Um, <laughs> Margaret Thatcher got voice. training to lower her voice so that the so that people would take her more seriously and you can fully hear a change in her voice in the chamber and apparently like other politicians are well known for speaking lower in parliament so that male politicians will actually listen to them and take what they're saying seriously it's so crazy and she was
4: saying that over time it's like a noticeable thing that women's voices are getting decibels deeper over the i thought that was crazy Mm. i was like that's so interesting i even think that when i hear myself speaking because obviously we listen back to the podcast and we can hear like your voice changes a lot depending if you're in like a silly mood or a funny mood or talking about something seriously or nervous or whatever. When I hear myself talking in a higher voice, I hate myself Same. more. And when I'm talking in a lower voice, I'm like, oh, that's an interesting point.
3: <laughs> you're obviously Grace. very smart. Grace. Smart girl.
4: Yeah. But it is the thing. It's I don't know what it is. And I think with politicians it's so true where – a lot of the time, when people are like, I just don't like her about a politician. A lot of the time, they'll call on her voice. Mm. Like with Hillary Clinton, people are like she's so shrill and like her voice is so high and annoying. And even Julie Gillard, I think people made fun of her voice a lot. Elizabeth Warren, people found her voice annoying. And then you look at people that are successful, like Conway Harris, has a very deep voice. I remember
3: Elizabeth? What's her face? Holmes and her yeah, fake Elizabeth voice. Holmes. And
4: her fake voice. She was onto something. Yeah. Hello.
3: Hello. I love her fake voice. It's so funny and her fake fucking
4: company. And we're going to talk in the Patreon about Parason's new amazing cooking show. Yes, and that's even hilarious because she her, her voice changes voice. so crazily throughout yeah. that show depending on who she's talking to. It's really, it's yeah, it's really interesting.
3: How I'd literally had something else in my stupid brain. I it, close it like a goldfish three times. I was like, what? having a because there's something else with, oh I was just talking to Chloe Swarbrick mm. I interviewed Chloe Swarbrick recently and I was just talking to her on Zoom and I was talking about how obviously everyone like, I, I was thinking about the Margaret Thatcher and the voice lowering thing mm. and I was thinking about how no one took her seriously because of her age she's 26 and she's the mp of auckland central which is crazy Crazy. but also when she first came in she was like 22 23 and it was rich she had like the funniest tidbit where she said that when she was 24 or 25 she was trying to pass some legislation and this older mp was just like well you know your brain doesn't stop developing fully until you're 26 yeah which is quite crazy i didn't know that So why would we take anything you have to say seriously? And Chloe didn't like know that. So she was just like, oh, okay. And then went away and Googled it. it. And then found out that your brain starts deteriorating when you're 42. So she was like, at least I'm on the fucking come up, bitch. Oh my God. Wow. Yeah, That's crazy. I think I'm like unsure if I got 42 right. (laughs) Facts. Facts. AWD facts. People are going to be spitting these out at the pub and they're going to be completely wrong. But yeah. Don't worry about it, guys. That's, yeah, nuts. Mm. Very
4: interesting. And then the other, speaking about people with deep voices, I've become really obsessed with Tyler, the creator, again this week because he's just released a new album called Call Me If You Get Lost and it's amazing. It's it's like when Kanye did my beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy, like, you know, when an artist just blossoms all of mm. a sudden, like all the stuff they've been working towards just comes together. You are the musical genius of AWD. No. <laughs> I I've never listened to anything other than like – no, you have, like, better – you have – you're much more on the pulse than I am, but I'm, like, across, like – Not with crowd. music. I think you are.
3: No. I haven't listened to anything other than, like
4: – That Harry Styles album. That,
3: that Harry Styles album in <laughs> two years.
4: I don't know, mu- I don't know yeah. much about yeah. music, but I do like Tyler, the creator. But he just headlined Lollapalooza, and his performance was crazy, and he did a performance at the BET Awards, which I'll show you later is, like – nuts it's so cool amazing um and he just did this interview with hot 97 it's like a radio station i guess but it's this long hour and a half interview and it's going semi viral because he just he just speaks so well and he's so interesting and he's like really captivating and it's good vibes if you're someone that's just wanting to be you even he's like yeah. like listening to people that have just kind of fallen into having their shit together mm. he talks a lot about points of reference because him and like Frank Ocean that generation are like not rappers in the traditional like Snoop Dogg sense they're kind of really into fashion and they have more like white references and stuff and he was saying that he I don't know if he won a Grammy or something and DJ Khaled was like who the fuck is this guy no one knows who he is he's such a like loser making fun of him and then he was like but to him that's right because his point of reference of what's cool is completely different to what my point of reference of what's cool is. Mm. And he's like, the older I get, the more I just realize that everything's just points of reference. Like everything that you read, whether you think it's good or not, is just based on the points of reference you have in your brain.
3: Like as in based on the people you surround yourself with and the culture that you're like consuming consuming. and what you've read before and what your friends think are cool. And like, that's all you can base
4: anything off. That's why I find it
3: so hard to figure out what I like. I know. Because I'm just like, I'm surrounded by all these different things Mm. telling me otherwise and then I get really fucking confused exactly and it's like what's even good and what's not good like you get something hyped up so much that you're like like I think that's why I get over things so quickly too because I'll like fall into the hype of something and then be like oh my god like Sally Rooney's books are good yeah but I'm like oh my god normal I just like eight normal people up in two days and I'm like if I do okay, this is a bad example because I genuinely think it's good and I think she's a good writer and very talented and I'm excited to read her new book. But like as in if everyone around me hadn't been like obsessed Mm. with that book and like reading it like crazy, I wonder if I even would have liked it that much or if I would have just been like this is such an easy read, I could have done it with my eyes, not me, but like anyone could have done it with their eyes shut why is this such I I don't know. Like it's it's so
4: interesting. I know. I thought that was so interesting as well. It's like so hard to, he's basically saying like, you can't divorce. Yeah. So you should just stop trying and just go with like what you have to base things off. And like, if people criticize you, he was like, I just learned to take myself out of it and just be like everything they're saying is true to them based on their point of reference and it's nothing to do with me. And I have trust in my point of reference, which is that I think what I'm doing is really cool because it's the things that I think are cool and interesting and the people whose uh, respect in if they, I want to have.
3: As in if they just like don't like your work or something.
4: Yeah. So if people say I think he's, he's music shit or I think his outfits are stupid or I hate his mm-hmm. music video, he's like that's just based on everything they've seen. You don't get what I'm doing. But that's cool. Like yes. you're not an asshole. You're not yeah. a bad person. Yeah. It's not. I'm not going to let it affect me. It's just your point of like we're all going around with this cone of references and making judgments based on that. Yeah, um, that's so interesting. I, that's I know. Interesting. I think that I
3: think that all the time. Yeah. I, I think. I think that a lot. Was- I was telling Zach and he was like, "That's really
4: obvious," and I was like, "It is obvious," but I don't know. It just kind of clicked in my brain. Him explaining it that
1: way.
3: Yeah, exactly. Like we were going to talk about something which I don't actually know if we'll have time to like go into it in depth in this episode now, but we were gonna talk about when feminism meets capitalism thing. And I'm reading this book at the moment by this amazing US feminist Camille Paglia. Have you heard of her? Yeah, I've got one of her books at home that it's quite dense, but she's like amazing. Yeah. Every line you're like, oh my God. Yes, (laughs) And I'd never like heard of her or read her work, but my boyfriend was reading it on the plane and fell asleep and it's called Vamps and Tramps. So I was like, give me that shit. And I started reading it and she was talking about just like the most obvious thing ever but that I never got in my pea brain around where she like, I wish I had the line on me, but she literally was just like, and I think the first page said something like, you know, women talking about feminism, she was like, you know, women weren't allowed to work and rah, rah, rah. And then they led us into the workforce acting like it was liberation when it was really just slavery to capitalism, like slavery of another kind to capitalism. I was like, oh my fucking God, our ascent into the workplace literally parallels when neoliberalism became a thing and capitalism skyrocketed, and the and like we're all like this girl boss shit, and every single thing we are doing in terms of like working hard and trying to succeed in our careers is all capitalism, and it's not even like equality that we're allowed here; it's just so that we can be extra worker bees because they need more people to like make them money. And I was like, what? And, it's and I was like, so obvious, like, yeah. Like I'd never ever thought of that before in my life. I was like, I feel so stupid thinking that like would become equal now that there's a few women CEOs when really it's just, like, the more women who want to work, the better.
4: I know. It's so hard. And it's, like, it's not even more women want to work. You've just set it up now where women just have Have to to. work. And that's being framed as progressive and success. So crazy. I know. it's uh, Yeah, it's really difficult. I think if you spend too much time thinking about it, it kind of, like, blows your brain a bit Mm. because –
3: Yeah. I love now how everyone's... I love how everyone's just being, like, the answer to what is your dream job is I don't dream of... What's the word? Labor. Labor. (laughs) I need to get more wine.
0: (laughs) Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact...
1: For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.
3: Topped up and ready to go. Grace is drinking out of a um, mug. A mug, yes. Airbnb has a single wine glass. We've given it to our guest of honor. (laughs) Yes. So happy about it. We're going to try and find a place that's not $400,000 to have some drinks after this.
4: Yeah, it's like impossible.
3: It's like really, you've either got to have like some
4: supermarket beers in some sort of shack Yeah, or spend a week's salary on like some
3: It was 30 euro for me to get here. And I was in the car for five minutes. I'm not joking. And I thought the guy was going to charge me 50 euro. And I was like frantically, anxiously messaging my boyfriend being like, I cannot, like, I just can't bring myself to pay 50 euro, 10 euro per minute (laughs) in this car. (laughs) And so I just like weaseled my way out of it like a true con man.
4: That's, yeah. Charles Sobrage. Okay. There's been some new... A new piece in the Atlantic criticising Robin D'Angelo's kind of white fragility vibe and then a new book as well that's come out and it's called Robin D'Angelo and the Problem with Anti-Racist Self-Help. And Robin D'Angelo has like another book out now that's yeah. like a follow-up to white fragility. Oh, stop, like, please. Completely.
3: You've made so much money off this.
4: She's so naughty. That's like fucked up. And this whole piece is basically about how white fragility in particular has basically just been – people are just clinging on to it and just using it as their only reference to get out of having white guilt because of the last year and, like, the myriad negative effects that that's having on, like, the education system and workplace systems and diversity training and all of these things. It's all basically based off this singular – I know Eva makes candy as well – uh, did, has done a lot of like anti-racism work but white people seem like especially drawn to what Rowan D'Angelo and white fragility of
3: course and she has said that too she's yeah. been like white people because of their white fragility need a white person to tell exact- them
4: yes so she's created this like system yes. it, 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 it's like a win-win system for her and it's a lose-lose system it's interesting because we'll get into like, the details of why the criticism against her which are very valid I just want to, I guess, start with by saying that I did find White Fragility very helpful when I read it
3: last it's, it's, year. It's like a very easy to follow. Basically, every single page I was highlighting like half the page because yeah. it just puts things down in a really simple, effective way.
4: And I do think there's something to be said for having a white person explain it to white people because we've said it with a lot of people that we've interviewed, it's very difficult for a black person to articulate to white people things that are very much rooted in like the white experience because a lot of this casual racism goes on just with white people to other white people. So a black person couldn't necessarily like articulate that and explain it to you, nor should they necessarily have to. So I understand why, it was important that a white person wrote about this from their perspective to give some sort of blueprint for how to, like, figure things out. Yeah. But it's kind of –
3: I feel like it's, like, black – I think the shit thing is, like, what this writer wrote in The Atlantic is, like, being black is, like, fucking knowing everything about white people. Yeah. Because you have to. Because you're, like, forced to. Because being white is, like, considered the norm. So you just know everything about white people, but they know, know like, nothing about you. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, exactly. It's, like, that other thing of why should a black person have to teach a white person to not be racist? Yes. Yeah, so I, get, I like, do get it. But then at the same time, she has the, the, the amount of money she has made off this. And then at the same time, she said so many times that she couldn't have, like, written these books or couldn't have done what she does without the help of all of the black people in her life and like I to be fair haven't actually done enough research into how much she compensates them or like what the deal is there with how she splits her money but it does seem kind of crazy all the facts and like things that were coming out about her during BLM about how much money she made and how many houses she owns and like how she she, does those like dinner parties right where it's like seven
4: thousand dollars and she just yells at white people or something it's just got this kind of anti-racism tourism vibe of people kind of dabbling in it because basically what this writer says in this piece and I was reading some kind of other pieces that criticized Robin DiAngelo's work which I think is very fair is that it doesn't really offer any lessons except just like feel terrible it doesn't have an end game to Mm. work towards it's basically like You're going to do the stuff that's racist, and when you do, don't apologize to to people of color because it's not their job to forgive you, and don't ask them to help you because it's not their job to educate you. But you're going to do it anyway, but don't put emotional labor on them. And it's a lot of her advice is kind of contradictory or messy because it doesn't really offer this pathway towards progress as much as it's about saying, you think you're a good person because you're a white left-leaning obama voting liberal, but you're really not, and here's why, end of book.
3: (laughs) Yeah, and then – It's also just like if you're going to profit off a minority group, then maybe your money should be going to them. It's just a bit wild. Like for her to release another book and not just donate the proceeds to like black owned businesses or something is just a bit like taking the piss. And also it's just taking money away from all of these black educators who have been doing this for years, but no one's listening to them because like everyone wants to listen to the white person. Like that's so frustrating. It's kind of literally like what we talked about with, Florence Given and The Slumflower, mm. where we talked about this whole drama and I don't know where I stand on it, but in terms of The Flower having a book that already said all the shit that Florence's book said and then Florence writing another one when she could have just pointed towards the black woman who had already done it. It's like Robin mm-hmm. DiAngelo now with the audience she has could be like, hey guys, there's a whole bunch of other black people doing this teaching, people who are putting themselves out there, who have yeah. written the books already, who mm-hmm. can like help you with this. And instead of being like, Twenty nine ninety five for another yeah, book yeah. on how you're a bad person. And it's like another book two, three years later. It's like what are you
4: – I mean I think the Guardian review of this new book was kind of saying it's like attempting to reconcile with some of the criticisms of the first book but it kind of just talks about why like Joe Biden is bad for saying he doesn't have a racist bone in his body because that's showcasing like classic white fragility. And I'm like we all got that in the first book. And also <laughs> she said they say that – There's a whole chapter in this new book of hers that talks about workshops she did where she ended up like talking down to or lecturing people of color in the audience about something. And then they brought it up with her and then she felt so bad that she then went and got on the phone with each of them and had these like long conversations trying to learn from them and do better and improve her own training. And then the person was like, that's kind of just contradicting everything that you tell people to do, people to do do in your book. It would be interesting if you said, you know, in my first book, I said that it's not your job to put emotional labor on people of color, but at the same time, there are things that they can offer you and insights that they can offer that are invaluable to you. So we've got to try and find a way to do that because like having zero communication with people of color about the topic of race ever, because it might be emotional labor, doesn't actually make any sense when you think about it. Yeah. But instead of saying that, she just...
3: And also just like offer them fair compensation for their time. It's a tricky one because it's again that thing that we've like talked about in the past of like damned if you do no damned if you don't, more damned if you do, like with like trying to do anything. Yeah, but and it's also- like if you're
4: trying to if you're trying to actually improve the situation, you should not be really writing a book being like damned if you do, damned if you don't. You should be trying to offer something that's constructive and like offers a path yeah yeah
3: yeah yeah Yeah. but i was meaning with her you know she's obviously helped so many people to understand this more but it's just it's just a frustrating reality that it's a white woman that people want to listen to and she she should have fucking written a book about that
0: yeah (laughs) that would have been interesting yeah
3: totally while pushing people to you know black people and people of color to who they can buy from Anyway, one other thing we wanted to chat about this week was, well, actually, there's two pieces that I really loved. One is a New York Times piece by Friend of the Pod, Laura Pitcher, whose first piece for the New York Times came out in the Sunday paper yesterday. And it's really great. It's about healing girl summer. So it's kind of the opposite of hot girl summer. And it's all about how um, this woman this woman went for a run and then she posted on her Instagram saying that she was going for a run and someone was like hot girl summer and she was just like that that phrase just didn't feel right for me because that's not what this is for me this has been like such a time of healing um and so she just replied saying healing girl summer and then that kind of took off and so she started posting about it on TikTok and she gained so many followers from it from writing all about how this time is been a time for so many women to kind of come back to themselves and slow down and heal from traumas and like spend time alone working out like what they really want out of a partner or whether they even want a partner or what they want to do with their lives and it's really cute because the New York Times and Laura, Laura spoke to all these different women but the New York Times like tracked them down and, and and shot them for the piece which is just really like heartwarming and lovely and it is that kind of thing with hot girl summer where I just don't like the phrase the phrase and I know it's a Megan Thee Stallion thing and we're all just been like rolling from that for years but it just it, the hot girl summer thing just makes me feel that like it's exclusionary even though that's not what she wanted out of the phrase.
4: Totally and I think it kind of especially right now it I think really speaks to how we are all feeling this pressure to have this post-vax like sexy fun crazy time Mm. and it just doesn't emotionally feel
3: that we're there right like no no
4: one really wants to go out and party no one really wants to go out and be reckless and carefree we still feel very like cautious and we've had this giant health global health scare trauma even being here in in like a party place I mean Zach has said so many times like we can't wait to go home which I know sounds ridiculous but we're like we're not in the mind space yet we love being By the water, on the beach, going in the sea, laying down, reading a book, Mm. (laughs) having a Mm. healing girl holiday. But the idea of going out to a club and hearing music and dancing and being loud and meeting strangers and sweaty and rubbing up against people, it just doesn't feel right yet. And I feel like that trend is probably tapping into the fact that people are just not there yet emotionally and we need to heal we're going to need like a few years to get over the trauma of this past couple of years you know it's going to be uh you know the mid 2020s i think before any of us start to feel like wild and carefree and fun again and i think that because of that phrases like hot girl summer just feel they just, yeah, like you said, they make you feel worse because you're like, well, I don't want to be yeah, well, I'm sexy not doing that. Yeah, I'm like, not doing that. And yeah. I don't want to do that. And I think what's pe- wrong with yeah, me? Yeah,
3: I think of people, because pe- clubs are now open in London. And I just think of, like, people clubbing. And in one sense, I f- and I think, yeah, it, it's such a thing for us as well because obviously we've, we've just moved to this place. We've never, ever even been to the clubs in London, like literally. Mm-hmm. Um And so when I see people out clubbing and I see some of my friends, like, one of my boyfriend's friends was DJing at a par- at like a club on the weekend with a cowboy hat on, having like the time of his life. Mm-hmm. and I was like seeing all these videos and that even like it was like this really cool boiler room set, which was the first ever South Asian lineup set the boiler rooms ever done at this club and all these incredible DJs were DJing with like turbans on and and saris and it like the dance music was just crazy it looked so fun and then at the same time I'm like I can't like I don't feel ready to be there yet so you just feel like you're missing out on on life again and I think that's the stressful part and that will that's how it will feel for people still in lockdown like in Australia and it's how it felt for us when we were in lockdown and everyone else back home was living their lives you feel Mm -hmm. like you're just missing out on life yeah and actually our favorite woman our new favorite woman Anne Helen Peterson wrote a newsletter about this a couple of weeks ago and it's called you're still exhausted I just brought it up while we were talking because you reminded me of it and she just said like she said that she still she feels so drained by doing the smallest amount of activity with friends she'll see a friend for dinner and she'll just be exhausted for days she can't keep up like that happened to me the other week when I had a deadline and I was literally like out to the world for two weeks sleeping and feeling so exhausted Mm. because I'd had a few late nights and she said the real problem is life is still exhausting because the pandemic was and remains exhausting in so many invisible ways we still haven't given ourselves space to even begin to recover instead we're just softly boiling over emptying and evaporating whatever stores of energy and patience and grace remain like jobs friendships everything Mm -hmm. it's just so much right now totally yeah no I'm glad you said that as well because I feel like that too where
4: I like at the moment pretty much have like one social thing a week like one Mm. dinner or one whatever and that's enough for me and then most of the time I'm like totally happy and content with that and then I'll have moments of panic where I'm just like oh my god you're like in your late 20s you've just got out of this thing you're living in Europe you need to be out like and That's another thing that Instagram's bad for. Like, what was that like fucking chic wedding that everyone was at in Hydra this oh, past yeah. weekend? The Capernae guys, mm-hmm. and I was just looking at everyone. And I was like, Why aren't you in a little party dress and a Mina Muwadi heels, like living it up on the dance for it? I'm like, Because
3: you'd get there and be like, oh, I want to go home. You're I'm
4: sad, I'm tired.
3: <laughs> I know, yeah. So, healing girl summer is a very cute, I love it. Um, phrase,
4: really cute. I think
3: it, I think. You know how those New York Times pieces just kind of blow up Mm -hmm. when there's a new kind of – I know Laura didn't make the phrase up because she obviously got it from TikTok and from this woman. But I hope people start talking about Healing Girl Summer, like how hot back summer took off and how hot girl summer took off. I know, Marzel to Laura. Yes. her to (laughs) Laura. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So also the other thing I was going to talk about, which isn't actually – as interesting, but Dolly Alderton wrote a piece for The Cut because her book Ghosts is about to come out in America and she mm-hmm. just wrote about being single in a pandemic and it was just a funny, there's like nothing to say about the piece because the piece wasn't breaking new ground. Yeah, whatever, breaking yeah. new ground or anything, but it was just it was just funny. She talked about how <laughs> when you're single in a pandemic, you learn all the songs to whop and then you can't get them out of your head so you're trying to write a sentence and then all you can think about is how you want to like... Park that big truck like right in the back of my garage, or whatever it was. Like in the middle of the piece, just started like r- typing that out, and I was like, "Wait, what was I saying?" And I was like, "I just love these kinds of articles, and I feel mm-hmm. like we don't see them enough, or they they it's they're done in such a bad way so often." That when you see someone just writing about, like, love and relationships in such a, like, fun, off-the-cuff, funny way, you realize that's why they're so successful. Yeah, and you're always
4: looking for, like, an angle or a takeaway or a a hot take or whatever. And it's, like, some writing is just very pleasurable to read for, like, what it offers.
3: Yeah. Yeah, so she's, like, if you're single in a pandemic, months of isolation will pass and you will wonder, if I could hold anyone now just for a minute, who would I choose? I wish I could hold you as a baby, you'll text your best friend. Are you okay? She will immediately reply. (laughs) If you sent
4: me that, I would, like, get a restraining order out against you.
3: If you're single in a pandemic, you'll listen to Cardi B's WAP in a way that only can be described as compulsive. You'll blast it on repeat for hours at a time, dancing so your body remembers how to move just to express something. You'll have recurring dreams that you're in the music video. Sometimes you'll forget the end of sentences you're writing because you can only think in the lyrics. If you're single in a pandemic, you'll notice... I want you to park that big Mac truck right in this little garage. I <laughs> can't remember where <laughs> I was going with this. <laughs> oh, I love her. Yeah, she's a funny girl, and that's why she's so rich and famous. Successful. Yeah. Successful.
4: that's a, that's Even that to me, I'm like, as a writer, I'm always like, oh, my God, you need to have like I think I thought about Mm -hmm. that when I read Joan Didion's last book, Mm -hmm. her book of essays. She just writes sometimes about something that was so simple and it was just a really nice, beautiful piece of writing and she's just this really famous writer. And I was like, oh, my God, everything doesn't have to be that you've, like, tapped this new frontier of undiscussed things about the beauty industry or trauma or, like, girl boss energy or whatever. Sometimes you can just write something that's just a nice thing to write.
3: Yes, and I think think that's even more groundbreaking like someone like joe jindy and just writing about something that already exists and just saying like this is what i think about this but like even the way dolly writes about her own life and her own experiences to do that in a way that just doesn't come across as like narcissistic or self-indulgent or just like not that funny or just a bit like not good is such a skill
4: I actually have to say I'm reading this book called The Culture of Narcissism at the moment, which I want you to read and it's supposed to be, like, a full episode about because it's, like, another one of those books where every line's like, changing my life. But it's written in the 70s. It's insane. It could be written yesterday and it would still be, like, groundbreaking. Um, But he talks about that with writing, how it became a thing in the 70s with people like Norman Mailer and Joan Didion to try and use your experience to make a complicated issue more relatable, but how, like, over time – that has spawned into just like really self-indulgent pieces mm. that are just about like talking about yourself, pretending it's about something else. Yeah. And this writer was saying, like, if you can nail that, if you can write something that isn't self-indulgent but centers yourself,
0: it's, it's, it's the incredible. Best. It's the best exactly. piece of writing you yes. can read. Yes. But it can
4: go so yeah. wrong in either. I direction. get so
0: scared of me yeah. ever
3: mentioning myself in articles because I'm like, no. Anyway, yep. we've got to go. Bye. <laughs> okay, over on the Patreon. Yeah, we're going to Patreon. So basically we're we're Ending this episode right now and pressing record on another on whole thing. episode. And in this um, episode, if you're not signed up to the
4: Patreon already, if you are, we love you. We love you. Jadour, uh, we're talking about Rihanna becoming a billionaire, Paris Hilton's cooking show, um, how Jake Gyllenhaal doesn't have a shower ever, Frank Ocean's fashion brand, yeah, Kanye West's Kanye West and album Kardashian. launch, yes,
3: um, lots and because we are hitting play right after this after recording this, we're already two wounds deep. Grace has finished her second mug and we are Ooh. off. Bye. Who knows what else we'll talk See you about? about
0: <laughs> a lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times.